0: Web applications often have some sort of login system, and once a user creates an account, they have access to features anonymous users can't see. In time, application designers will often add an admin level of access for special users. This is often the start of a slow trickle of technical debt. Proper execution of a programmatic authorization system requires concepts like roles, resources, departments, and organizations. Oso describes itself as batteries-included authorization. It's an open-source library used by companies like Intercom and Wayfair, which allows them to manage authorization in a robust and standardized framework without reinventing the wheel. In this episode, we speak with Sam Scott, CTO at Oso. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me. Permissioning, authorization, there's a wide variety of tools that are in this space and the first one that comes to mind is Auth0 which was more recently acquired by Okta. Tell me about a brief history of authorization as a service.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's you know to start with, you kind of need to you need to disentangle authentication and authorization two very similar sounding names often lumped together as just auth and there's often a very blurry line between those and which piece of the puzzle different people are doing and you know even goes as far as you know headers with the name authorization we use for authentication and things like that so i think you know we think about you know companies like auth zero you know acquired by Okta. a lot of the stuff they have focused on is primarily the identity piece, the authentication piece, right? So authentication, it's around identifying who the user is, you know, who you are, checking some kind of credentials, you know, that kind of piece of thing. You know, authorization, often the piece that comes afterwards, like now that I know who you are, what can you do? And, you know, a lot of the existing services out there, like an Okra North Zero, they do a lot of the identity stuff and they maybe do a small piece of the authorization. They maybe handle things like, you know, groups or... Maybe it's like pulling a few attributes out of the like identity providers. You kind of get some sense of who this person is, but they often leave a lot of the authorization to the application code itself. It's like, all right, I know who you are and maybe I know what groups you belong to or what role you have, but I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna let the app, you know, decide what to do with that information. That's where we kind of see a lot of these companies kind of fitting into the picture is, you know, they handle that kind of front door, pop up a login, you know, login dialogue, get you to authenticate or, you know, login with Google or Facebook. And then they like produce some sort of like token, send that through to the app. And they're kind of like, their job is done. They got you in the front door, they passed on some info and they're kind of happy to leave you do it. How did you get interested in this space? I got interested in the space more generally, you know, security, I did a PhD in cryptography. That was always driven by me just wanting to do like more and more applied versions of maths, basically. Started out doing some more like theoretical math, and then kind of wanted to get into something more applied. And I was like, oh, this is cryptography thing. It's like practical math. <laughs> Did a PhD in cryptography and was like, oh, I could try and do like more applied cryptographic research. And it just kept on leading me like down the, I don't know if you've ever heard this or like turtles all the way down expression, but I kind of kept on like chasing that, like, I want to be more applied all the way down that stack. And ultimately realized realized that a lot of security comes down to like, do you know who you're talking to? And do you know what they're supposed to do? You know, Cryptography is often used as just like a mechanism to make that happen. But that's kind of how I ended up in this area. And more generally, when, when I was starting out uh, starting out a company, uh, the company Oso, it's, for me, the big thing was, you know, a lot of these problems, like, have technical solutions, especially in, like, in academia, a lot of this stuff is, like, solve problems, but the tolling around them is just, it's just, like, so hard to use that it doesn't feel solved for a developer. Like, you have to go through a lot of hoops. You have to go through a lot of steps to make it happen. That's kind of more generally what I kind of what I wanted to go out and, and try and solve, and ultimately why I started, started this company or so was to make that just to make this whole area of security more accessible for developers
0: yeah you know i felt like auth zero getting acquired was kind of a small heartbreak for me because the space was so much bigger and they could have done so much more i felt they sort of got distracted with the whole functions as a service effort do you see what they were doing there I thought that was a very, very bad decision. I think, and I I hate to say that because I think they were sponsoring us at the time when they launched that and we promoted it. I thought it was an interesting idea. Like, yes, you do want Lambda-like functionality around your authorization. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's probably a whole lot more that they could have done that's just deeper and more integrated into the authorization stack rather than trying to expand to this functions as a service kind of thing.
1: I think there's a really interesting sort of trade-off that they're probably fighting with, which is for a lot of things in in the space in security, you really do want to try and do it as this kind of like middleware-like approach, which is you know achievable with authentication. It's as you know, it's kind of like that front door. You log in, and then you have a token, and you know the app barely even needs to think about it anymore. And and that's like so great from a security standpoint if you can just say like anything that got past the you know the gateway is authenticated. It's like we're good. So it's like very tempting to want to do that with authorization and be like, well, what can we do at this level? Like if we're already in there checking identity. what more can we do? But ultimately you can only really end up doing somewhat coarse things, which, you know, the the rules kind of functionality could could give you, you know, checking, checking scopes in the token, checking API endpoints. But as soon as you want to get down to like, you know, what can this user do? Like you're going to hit the database at that point. You're going to be basing on application data and it breaks that clean separation.
0: So let's say you were in charge of Auth0 around the time when they made this foray into functions as a service around authentication, and you could choose an alternative strategy. What would you have done? How would you lead the company towards a direction that is not acquisition by Okta?
1: What a question. (laughs) I mean, hard to critique their approach. I mean, come on, they, that was a fantastic exit. And I think they they did incredibly well. Could have been so much I, bigger. It could have been bigger. I, the funny thing is I've spoken to other people who have been in the space that I probably can't name names, but who wanted to work on authorization, but they were like, well, authentication is so broken. Let's just go fix that one first. And then...
0: Wait, 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 sorry. What's the difference
1: between author, authorization authentication? The authentication, right? Checking who the user is. Authorization, deciding what they can do. uh. But like a lot of what Auth0 will do is that authentication piece. It's like integrating with single sign-on solutions and managing user accounts and tokens and all that kind of stuff. And they, they dip their toes into the authorization space with things like, you know, rules and that piece. Authorization, it's a pretty different problem domain. Like they're very similar. Like you need to check who someone is and then you decide what they can do. Like these, you know, the interface between those two is very tight, but they are like two very different domains. So it's hard to fault them for being you know for being, having a pretty pretty great
0: exit. Hard to fault odd zero.
1: Yes, hard to fault odd zero for having that, you know, for getting acquired and all that. I think I can see the value in what they did with with the rules stuff. In being able to do some amount of like course authorization at the at the front door. I think that's like pretty reasonable. I think to do authorization, they would have had to do something completely different. And you know, interestingly, they have and there has been a thing they've been working on through this like 0 Labs thing, which is kind of a more of a foray into the authorization space.
0: Okay, so give me some more details. Like again, not to put you on the spot, but if you would have been off zero back then, you have traction, what would you have done?
1: I mean, so the problem is we're we're getting up against a kind of a difference in worldviews here. And we might have to to take a little brief So I can give you- I love it.
0: I love it. Take me on the detour. (laughs) Take me on the detour. Your background, by the way, is New York on a rainy evening. It's the kind of place I want to take a detour in. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we can go. Let's
1: go grab with with food. what is that a
0: hot a hot dog stand in the background? That's a hot dog stand. This is let's this is actually dog, the This is the best virtual background I've seen. Is this a Zoom native virtual background or is this something else?
1: This is not Zoom native. No. This is um, this <laughs> is a New York Cinemagraph that I found just what Cinemagraphs,
0: <laughs> searching for Cinemagraphs. Okay, cinemagraphs, yeah. Okay, so.
1: For those who know me, I've been using this like blowing in the breeze, grassy background for like the last like 18 months of the pandemic, trying to give myself some zen. I am based in New York. We briefly went back into the office for a bit and then COVID forced us to shut back down again. So I have my New York background to make me feel like I'm still here. So the detail we want to take. About two years ago, Google released this paper on this authorization system they built internally called Zandibar. It was this, I think they called it, you know, global scale, consistent authorization system, something like that. And it's, you know, it's effectively something they've been working on for, you know, I think they started it probably early 2010s on how to solve authorization at Google scale, which, you know, they shared some details in the paper. It means, you know, handling something like 10 million client requests per second, right? 10 million authorization decisions per second. So Google had this problem of like, how do we solve this in a way that's, you know, scalable for our needs and also, you know, consistent to use for, for developers and people building apps like Google, right? So you're building Google Docs, you're building, you know, Google Drive, you're building YouTube, like all of these different systems need to do authorization. Like, how do we do this? So they, they released a paper in 2019 that kind of detailed that. And it's sort of made up of two main parts. There's like, one is this like authorization model, like a configuration language for how, they, how to express authorization. And the second is like the system itself you know, built on top of Spanner to be able to handle the you know, incredible amounts of volume. And, you know, I think what happened after they released that paper is a lot of people were like, huh, you know, that, that's interesting. Like, maybe there's something here. Maybe this is like, you know, an approach we should be taking to building authorization. And so we've seen, you know, kind of in in the last half a year in particular, there's been, you know, various tech companies who've tried to emulate this. Airbnb, you know, wrote a blog post on this recently about how they have their own version of this. And you have, Companies like Auth0 and other startups who are, you know, trying to build this Google system for kind of exposure for the world. So coming to the the worldviews piece of this. Now, the fundamental thing that kind of Zanzibar asks you to do is to put all of your, like, authorization-relevant data in a central service, in a central place, so that it can do authorization over it. And, you know, that means, you know, everything like what organization does a user belong to? What Organization does this file belong to? What folder is this file inside? You know, who created this video? Who who's been invited to edit this document? Like all of that information that you're going to need to use to decide who can do what goes inside this like central service, and then from there the service can now start making authorization decisions because it has all that data. I mean, the problem we see with that is, and it requires you doing two things: like fundamentally re-architecting your app so that it can put all this data in into a, into a central source, and also like Yeah, trusting that you know that external thing with with all your data, and I think this is really appealing, especially from a like startup business standpoint, because services are great. You you know, people kind of understand like what they're paying for when they get a service. They just like you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay you to manage all these things for me. It's like easier to build and manage when you're a company because you can push updates to the service and and so on and so on. But our view at Oso about the right way to solve authorization is you shouldn't be re-architecting your entire app around authorization. You should be building authorization around your app. And that means using the data where it lives inside the app and being able to make authorization decisions based on your existing data models, not by re-architecting everything. That's the sort of the big, I'd say the big clash in worldviews, And I think this in particular makes it hard for me to answer this question of like, what would I do if I was, I was auth zero because you know they are set up to be a SaaS company and to manage this stuff on users' behalf. So for them to, you know, kind of take this alternative approach where the you know the app data stays where it is would be a you know pretty big change in direction for them. I don't think if I was a you know CTO at, at Auth0, I'd like recommend such a dramatic change in strategy. But mm-hmm. for someone who mm-hmm. started on this problem, you know, two three years ago mm-hmm. from scratch and thinking about what's the best way to solve this for developers. We, you know, sort of you know, doing this from first principles in some, in some sense, you know, that's kind of what the decisions we landed on.
0: So I did Sequoia Scouts for a while. So I'm familiar with how selective Sequoia is in their investing. You are a Sequoia portfolio company. That is a rarity. How do you get this product to a point or this vision to a point where Sequoia wants to put money into it?
1: So investors, they take a long-term view on things. Right, and that was kind of one of the reasons we were uh, kind of very excited to work with them. And I think they get the size of the problem space that we're going after, right? Like every like commercial enterprise application, you know, the vast majority of like direct consumer apps are gonna do authorization. And this is an area that people have mostly just built themselves from scratch every time. So when we talk about like the scale of the problem here, authorization, you know, this is as big as like, you know, you don't build your own database. Like you don't build your own payment system right? Like that's the size of the problem we're talking about. And I think they see that vision and they see that, that opportunity.
0: Well, that's very concise. Can you go into a little more detail? No, I mean, which piece? I mean, come on, man, you're open source. How would you put your company in a nutshell? Open source authorization as a service, right?
1: Currently we're a library. We're currently an open source library for authorization. We're sort of a more of a framework. So we call ourselves, it's a batteries included framework for authorization. There's kind of a few pieces in that. The framework piece is like, we are going to give you a structured way to think about authorization.
0: And -hmm. there's like
1: a lot inside this problem that people don't even kind of realize are just six pieces. It's like, what's the like logical piece of it? Like, how do you end up making a decision? There's the bit that you add to your app. There's the way that you integrate your data and all those pieces. So, you know, the framework is kind of like this foundation for just even thinking about this problem in the first place. The second piece, the the batteries included, is we're gonna take like everything we know about authorization, all of the best practices, every, you know, how you should end up thinking about exposing this to users, structuring it, modeling it, all this stuff. And we're gonna bake that into the the product. So when you, you know, when you come, when you sit down, you're building an app and you're like, well, how am I gonna decide, you know, if this person should have access to this resource? You're not reinventing the, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not doing this from scratch without any guidelines. You're getting like the product telling you like, hey, You should probably think about roles. Roles are very useful. And here's how you can do roles in an organization. And if a resource belongs to an organization, like here's how that gets structured. You know, here are the data schemas. And look, that's the ones you have in your app. And here's how you think about this. And, you know, really building, you know, putting that all into the product so that it goes from being this unstructured problem, which can be very complex and hard to think about. And if you get it wrong, you have to rewrite it. And people end up refactoring their app four or five times to get it right. It goes from that to being something that you can just like sit down, Get right it doesn't even seem that hard anymore. You just sort of express naturally what you want to happen, and that, and that's what that's that's what the product does.
0: So a perfect example of a customer is Intercom. When I think about the kinds of authorization problems that Intercom has, it's quite complex because you have a user that lands on a web page and they need to engage with the Intercom chat system. That's all you need to know to know that this is a very fine grained permission problem, at least in the sense of intercom, right? Yeah, the real complexity of intercom
1: is the piece of the that you don't see on the website, but the you know who's allowed to get access to that that data of the customer talking with you know potentially talking to the live, live agent. You know who can get access to those conversations? Who can see the? Who can see that? You know if this person's like maybe sharing confidential information about their trying to try and get some support? Like who gets access to that? Who can go in and see it and you know maybe assign it to other people or? you know, ultimately, you know, end up handling those customer requests. That's where it can really start getting complex is like, what are the different ways that someone might be given permission to view a particular, you know, particular piece of data, a particular conversation?
0: Okay, and so how do you build something that Intercom is willing to adopt that is extraordinarily tightly coupled with their infrastructure? Because Intercom is a mature company, they're sophisticated engineers, they're not gonna adopt something like this overnight.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think the biggest piece of this, and this kind of comes back to the, you know, where the data lives. The thing that was easiest for them is they didn't need to do any migration work in terms of the data. There was no need to like, okay, first we're going to go and upload all of this data into the service and re-architect our app to make this happen. They could get started with it immediately because they just they import the library, they edit to their app, and they have access to everything that they have access to in their app already. And that was like the easiest thing. That was like, for them, that was just the simplest thing to get started. They, they leave the data where it is and they can immediately just start using Oso for like, just trying like building stuff on top of it. You know, so for a larger company, I think a, a big part of this is taking something that is not really, not very consistent across the app. It's kind of maybe done in different different ways in different places, kind of consolidating that down and having a single place to understand where, you know, how authorization is modeled and putting that in like a single policy. I mean, like, okay, you know, I can now see like the structure of this in our entire app instead of chase down the code path to find it. So that's kind of like the the first piece. And then from there, it's a case of like seeing the new capabilities they can add, the stuff that they couldn't previously do and how easy it would be to add this. They want to go more fine-grained and start adding things like attribute-based access control. You know, can this user see this resource based on attributes of the user and the resource? It's like incredibly simple for them to add that. And they can kind of go and PSE it and see that it works. So it's kind of like a, you know, at the end of the day, it was like, a relatively small amount of work for, for them to migrate over. I mean, it was largely just done by one, you know, one engineer who went through and tested it. And you know, they actually ended up being able to delete, delete a ton of code by having this, by kind of consolidating it down. And then there's like a bunch of new functionality they can add without having to, I don't know, go, and go through like a lengthy design process. And I think that's like a really good example of what, like any company at any stage will go through multiple times throughout their life of authorization. Like, uh oh, to start with, I just need, like, admin and member, but then they start adding roles and they start, like, having to add projects and teams and groups and all these things. And each time it often ends up being, like, a re-architecture, whereas, like, Oso is flexible enough that you can, you know, really it's just a case of integrating it with your, app, your existing app data and
0: then expressing the logic you need. Okay, so... Is this something that I would use in my own application? Like, let's say on my random application. Let's say I'm a random web app. I'm let's say I'm building softwaredaily.com, which is one of my favorite websites, if not my favorite website. There is a base, very basic. Actually, we have a pretty terrible login system that currently doesn't even work, and I believe somebody is injecting some kind of malware code into it. I hope that's not happening. But if you go to softwaredaily.com, you know you're going to be logged out. We have a kind of crappy login system. Yeah, actually maybe we should use Oso. Can you tell me if you can use Oso? Can you go to softwaredaily.com right now and just like look at our look at our login system and tell me if it's like terrible?
1: So, I mean, probably when we able to tell from the login piece itself, say we we handle the authorization piece or so everything that happens after you're authenticated. Log in with a single sign-on, sign in with Twitter. I mean, that's, that's usually a pretty good start. Does that work
0: for you? See if that works for you. I think it's broken. Do you have a Twitter account? Do you use Twitter? I do, but it's asking me to authorize a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. Okay, we definitely need to fix that. All right. A request for open source contributors. Delete delete tweets from me. That's sound. Request. All right. You you definitely don't want an open source project to be able to delete tweets from you. (laughs) Yeah, no, that doesn't doesn't sound good. All right. So forget it. Do you have a burner Twitter? Either use a burner Twitter or log in with a burner Uh, email. It doesn't even make you go check your inbox or whatever. So you can put in a fake email. It's fine. let's, Let's try that. All right. Nice, all right, cool. You can post a company or topic, you can post a job, you can do some writing. There's some various things. Eventually we'll need admins, right? So I think once we need admins, then we probably need the authorization, right? Admin is an authorization issue. All
1: right, check this out. Okay, so I can see a couple of things. So pretty nice example is maybe I can like edit or delete a post if I wrote it or a a question, or if I'm posting jobs. Yeah, I, I probably
0: want to be able to control if I want to go and edit those things. Click on one of these topics, like click on uh, community and product thinking at the top. Okay. So for example, if you click on the little pencil I'm on the maintainer. question at the bottom, the question, how can we make it less unclear that will happen right now?
1: I don't have a pencil for this though. I can't, I don't have an option. Oh, really? Oh, okay. All right. That's
0: right. Good work. That's right. Okay. But that's exactly what you're solving, I guess, is I who has the, the pencil. to try and become a maintainer.
1: What does that, what does that do?
0: Uh, <laughs> you should be able to do that. Yep. I have become a maintainer. I'm sorry. All right, that's great. That's great, man. Congratulations. Change the topic. I think your product is exactly what we need for this because we need a fine-grained permissions. We need so basically, like, if you think about Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia has this problem. Wikipedia needs fine-grained permissions in their open-source thing, right? Like Wikipedia is a perfect example. You 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 need a hierarchy of authorization in Wikipedia.
1: Fantastic test test account just updated the.
0: to say we need to update our authorization (laughs) oh no all right i'm gonna hold on i'm gonna add a highlight to that i'm gonna say no we don't i need to log in real quick let's break authorization right now wait okay sorry i'll sign up Uh, by the way if anybody wants to know what we're doing you can just go to softwaredaily.com wait what is this twitter thing return to software daily what the hell is this why is there a twitter interlocutor here this doesn't make any sense
1: Okay. So like there's the, the OAuth flow, right? So if you want to sign in as Twitter, you want to know, you want to like know who the person's logging in as from Twitter. So you're basically asking, Hey, Twitter, can I read this person's like account information so I can identify them. So software daily needs to ask Twitter, am I allowed to get the login info for this person so that I can like see who they are. So when you set up the developer, like integration on Twitter, you need to choose like what you want to get access to so they can prompt the user for that consent. But, sounds like you asked for a lot, of, a lot of capabilities like posting on someone's behalf. Could be nice. Yeah, okay. Could, you know, click on a topic and maybe the you know, software data could post to Twitter on my behalf and things like that. That's why you're getting that big, like scary consent page because you've basically asked Twitter, hey, can I, can I do all these things on the behalf of the user?
0: I left a highlight on your alteration, by the way, nice. if you want to refresh. You can respond. I'm going to upload it. Honest question, do you think this website is useful?
1: I mean, as a very
0: biased person, I, I'm not what? wondering whether we should post our jobs here. You should do that. Well, post your product. Post your product right now. OSO. By the way, anybody listening, go to softwaredaily.com, post your product or whatever if you can log in successfully.
1: I'm a little worried that someone's just going to come in and start editing it and trolling my posting now that I see that well, it can edit
0: anything. But that would be great because that would force us to adopt OSO, right?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure that's the right ordering. Normally it's the you know, big impressive company, in that case us, who wants to use your product and you're like, oh, we better solve these security things before they'll use us. That's usually how the security thing goes. They're like, well, we really want to get these enterprise deals. So we better like fix our security so that,
0: you know, they'll use us. There is one person that uses this website and that's me. Actually, there's also, if you go to the website, there's something at the top called Talk to Strangers America. Do you see that? That's another user that uses our website. <laughs> I don't know what this is.
1: <laughs> Maintained by random stranger chat. I love that. <laughs> That's an actual use. <laughs> Maybe I should become a, become a maintainer of this as well.
0: <laughs> you should. Oh my gosh, please. <laughs> you can add some jobs to this page too, if you want. Yeah, and they should delete all the other jobs as well. So that only, only us is up. There's no other jobs. I don't think Talk to Strangers America is hiring anybody. You mean mm-hmm. jobs in general? Yeah, there, there are jobs just are in general. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, let's go back to Oso. Let's, uh, no more, no more self-promotional, like a uh, thinly veiled self-promotional software daily promotion. Oso. Yeah. So batteries included authorization. So you've got like an open source authorization framework. This is pretty cool, man. I got to say, congratulations. This is pretty cool.
1: I don't know. Authorization is hardly the most sexy topic in the world, but
0: what are you talking about? Come on, man. I am policies. I am policies are a huge headache, aren't they? They are a huge headache, but nobody likes them. I mean, no, one, no one wants to. Nobody likes you, them. You, you just want,
1: it, you just want it to work. You just want to like deploy your app without getting weird "I am" errors. Yeah,
0: it's ghastly.
1: Yeah, I know. I think the piece where it becomes fun, right? And we want, we want to take away like all of the like craft and the like sharp edges and all the stuff where it gets like annoying for the user, and make it so you know you're building, you're building softwareday.com, and you're just thinking through this process of like, you know, it's you know who can become a maintainer, and you just want to say, well. You, that's you know, just like no one, No one can just become a maintainer or, or you can become a maintainer if your email address ends in at softwareday.com. It's like cool. And now, you, now you've done that. you've got this like nice bit of logic that you know only people with the right you know, email address can be maintainers and they can make themselves maintainers of things. and you can start saying, you know you can edit a post if a post belongs to a topic that you're a maintainer of. And like that piece of logic there, right, which is like it's using bits of the app. You know what the you know the topic and a post that's been a post that belongs to a topic. You know you've probably got some like one-to-many database relationship where it's like stored in in whatever in, in your database, and you need to like navigate those relationships, to see the posts. And that is like two lines of code with those. So it's like you just say yeah, you can you can see this thing if you're a maintainer of the post that the so you can see the thing if you're a maintainer of the topic that the post belongs to. It's like two lines of codes. It's like that that easy to kind of represent that, and that does get fun you're just like thinking about like the kind of like oh how do i how do i model this like how do i flow things through like does it make sense to me to have like post roles like should someone be assigned as a reviewer of a post or should that just like flow from something else and how do i want my users to interact with this and move through the website if you know should i hide the you know if i need to hide the pencil because someone's not allowed to edit the thing then how does my front end know that the back end's not going to let me edit this thing that stuff is fun you know that's like Product design, product feature design, like thinking about how your app is going to work. And so we, we want to make that the piece that you focus on and like all the, all the other stuff around, I don't know, like trying to navigate the security world of acronyms. It's like RBAC and ABAC and PBAC and back and being like, which one yeah. do I want? Like make that stuff <laughs> No one wants to deal with that stuff and no one wants to like read NIST papers on hierarchical roles. They just, they just want to like thinking like, what, what's my app mean to do? And that, yeah. that bit is fun. That bit I do agree is fun.
0: You're like a child. You, how old are you? 28? 25? I'm 32. Are you 32? Okay, you're like my age. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, you got a, your PhD in 2017. Okay, you graduated like the same year I did. Never mind. Actually, a little bit. You Well, yeah, same year I did, but I was a little bit slow. I spent like five years in undergrad, or six years maybe in undergrad. I did some traveling in between. That was my... Nice. So you got a PhD in cryptography. Let me ask the like... Naive, like I'm a reporter for like some crappy magazine question. If you're so good at cryptography, why aren't you building cryptocurrencies?
1: It's funny because, yeah, I mean, I was doing my PhD like just as, as you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies was taking off. Like we, you know, went through my reading groups, all the blockchain papers and stuff. And obviously I was like, you know, there's probably a forest for the trees thing going on where I like understood the technology and was like, oh, that's really cool technology. But, you know, I don't understand. No, you'd use this thing. This isn't a, this isn't a real thing. Right. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty sure like a laptop that I threw away many, many years ago has some Bitcoins on it from, you know, back in the day where you could just click a button and get a Bitcoin. Uh, Let's not dwell on that too much. Why am I not working on them now? I think there are some interesting problems. It's just it's not the path I went down in terms of the
0: kinds of problems I care about solving. I think there are some really amazing ideas. Especially, It's a fake technology. It's not a real technology. It's a data structure. The blockchain is an interesting data structure, and everything around it is a fake technology. You know what's funny is, is everybody everybody was saying, it's blockchain, not Bitcoin. And then all the Bitcoin people were saying, you're wrong. You can't have a blockchain without Bitcoin. And they're actually the wrong ones. The blockchain is the most interesting part of, of, of cryptocurrency.
1: I mean, I don't know. Decentralized
0: consensus-based software, is a, I think, is a super interesting... So, but here's the thing. You can decentralize across cloud providers. Nobody's doing this. You don't need to, to decentralize across a bunch of random data centers in China and Uzbekistan and whatever. Like you don't need that. Just I, decentralize across cloud providers.
1: Yeah, I agree. One of the things I did work on during my PhD is this idea of like password hardening through like a third party service. And the kind of the, the general idea was like the, it was using these like kind of cool cryptographic measures that meant the you know, there'd be, there's a key on the server which is like the server that has the keys doesn't know the passwords you're sending them because those are like properly blinded and hidden. And the, the server that manages the passwords doesn't know about the key. So those two things are like entirely separate. And so, and then you can even start doing like cool things like you have like multiple keys and distribute them across multiple servers and, and things like that. And that does mean that you can like protect your data. So like, you know, your your password database, your user user's passwords, you can protect it by keys that are managed on a bunch of third-party servers across multiple cloud services. And... You know if any one of them gets compromised you can rotate the key and keep going and like it, that key is worthless it's got really really cool strong security properties and that was the kind of thing that when i was on my phd i was like wouldn't this be a cool thing to go and like build and help the world like secure their passes and things and then i went and spoke to some companies and they were like you know we should be encrypting our passwords or what's this hashing thing i've heard of and i'm like oh this isn't, you're, not, you're not worried about like they actors." compromising your password databases. You you just want to make sure that like if you know someone just downloads your entire Postgres database, then the passwords aren't like completely revealed. It was just like very different like threat models. And so there is some cool cryptography you can do, whether it's yeah, key key management split across multiple services, or it's like some I don't know, blockchain-based decentralized algorithm thing. But I mean, ninety-nine percent of companies just that's, that's not relevant to them. I mean, this is relevant for like governments and militaries and defense contractors and stuff like that. Not, you know, no offense. Softwaredaily.com. <laughs> so, I don't know I just saw there was a there's like kind of a an opportunity to make security better for the vast, vast, vast majority of people, where it's just simple things like you know, protecting access to the data on the like web servers and and not worrying about like state actors and all this like fancy cryptographic stuff. But it's just like, just kind of making the stuff that is already solved,
0: like easier to use. But seriously, though, like think about the blockchain as a data structure across cloud providers, DigitalOcean, AWS, Google Cloud, Azure, Name you know fifty other cloud providers across the world. There's a ton of cloud providers that nobody's heard of. Equinix, whatever. You've got a blockchain across all of them. You just synchronize the data. You've got a great blockchain. You've got great shared infrastructure. Because here's the thing about blockchains: it's a shared, finely grained, permissioned database. That's what a blockchain is. You don't need to use it for currency. You can, but you don't need to. Sure. Yep. Isn't that an interesting application platform? You can do anything with it. Everybody's excited about smart contracts. Like, what? Just make programs on top of a blockchain. I mean, there's a lot of people who are doing what are they, DApps, decentralized apps? Like, that is. Yeah. A, that is a, that I, is like, a dude, I'm doing a decentralized app. It's called Software Daily. Like, it's on three different Heroku servers, I think, <laughs> right? Or at least one. It has yeah. some sort of redundancy. Like, what is this fraudulent industry?
1: That's just like an entirely separate thing, right? Like they're the merits of the technology is kind of separate. It's I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it's you know it's a bastardized version of
0: the technology, right? It's it's distributed systems Enronized or or distributed systems. I, I don't even know what to say about it. It's like take Leslie Lamport and and introduce his worst nightmare.
1: It's being co-opted by more than just like the technology now, like the Speculation on cryptocurrency isn't so much around the technology anymore. I think there is, there is, a lot of people who do deeply care about technology and the things it can do, but that's not why it's become this like speculative investment tool with no safeguards. There's kind of like two trends going on here. There are people who genuinely care about technology and are interested in building interesting stuff that has good, you know, privacy guarantees. For example, you know there are there are banks who are like building consensus things as like a bank to bank. Thing and it's it's in that kind of model you just described, right? Where instead of cloud service providers, it's just like banks doing consensus in a you know more modern way instead of just like sending each other ledgers in a on, on paper or whatever. You know there are people who do care about technology, and then there is like cryptocurrency, which has just you know become this vehicle for people. I don't know. It's just it's just an entirely unregulated speculative investment thing that anybody can, can partake in and become very dangerous and damaging to the environment.
0: Well, hold on. The damaging to the environment thing is, is almost as dumb as the industry itself. Like the argument that this is damaging to the environment is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why is that a good argument? Like are data centers bad for the environment? Well, I mean, it's like, yeah, but a, I mean, it's a utility question. It's like, what are they, what are they being used for? All kinds like, of things. I mean, do you think cryptocurrencies are being used for all kinds of things or are they being used for? Well, I mean, cryptocurrencies are hilarious because they're mostly being used to defraud cryptocurrency investors.
1: Right. I guess is your point that like, why care about the environmental aspect if it's already uh, a terrible damaging thing?
0: It's like lots of things are damaging to the environment, right? Like uh, Coca-Cola, doesn't Coca-Cola like pour toxic sludge into rivers? Aren't there like places in Africa where just like you know big yeah, corporations like uh, Nestle doesn't Nestle pump toxic sludge into like random African communities and cause birth defects everywhere? Like, I mean, is this anything new? I think the thing is right. Like, if you're gonna
1: split, if you're gonna split blockchain cryptocurrencies into those two things, like the the legit technical usage and the like cryptocurrency as a way of, as you say, defrauding investors. If you're gonna split it into those two things, then even the technical stuff becomes a little bit woolier on whether it's like good because of the environmental impacts. It's like, it's, you know, the scale that, you know, the number of like legitimate transactions that you know, Bitcoin can handle to process like online transactions is, you know, it uses a like ridiculous amount of, of electricity compared to like the, the equivalent that like the Visa network can support. And so I think it's a reasonable point to say, you know, why maybe the technology is not as great as people think it is. I think it's relevant in that domain. But if you're talking about just like purely like, is cryptocurrency a good thing or not? And ignoring the technology piece and just this like, perspective market piece of it, then it probably doesn't factor in as much, you're right.
0: What's the hardest technical problem
1: you're working on right now? We have two like very hard problems that we solve with this company. One is very much product focused, like how do we make like authorization concept simpler for developers? And that's purely like UX design, that kind of stuff. That one's hard, but in terms of like the, the technical challenge, so we haven't really got much into it, but the the way that the OSO product is built, it's available as a library for like multiple different languages, like Python, Ruby, Java, Node, like a bunch of languages. And it does that by having this like embedded policy language built in Rust. Right? So like you know, when you express authorization in the policy language, There's this like common implementation, the kind of nuts and bolts of it under the hood is all being done by this common component. That piece is really, really fun to build. In particular though, we have this concept, this feature called data filtering. And the idea is that instead of just saying, can this user access this thing? You're able to say, what are all the posts this user can view? And the answer to that might be, you know, posts where the user is a maintainer of the topic it belongs to, and posts where the user was the one who wrote the post you know all these different things that come that that potentially can be used to decide who can see a thing so we're basically changing the language from being able to just say yes no things to be able to return like here are the things that need to be true for a user to have access and returning those is what we call like constraints right so you can you know and there's like a data representation for that that says you know posts where, kind of like SQL, right? Like posts where postdoc created by equals user.id, you know, things like that. We've like, you know, supported this for a while in Python with like a direct RM integration with Python. We're currently making that functionality like available that anybody can use it from any app by kind of like implementing this pretty simple interface. And that piece of technology is, is kind of mind-blowing that you can, <clears throat> you can write your authorization policy to say who can do what in your app, it can both answer like, can, can I edit this post? Yes or no? It can also say, what are all the posts I can read and return this like, and do it in a way where it's integrated with your existing application data. So these like constraints, they all get applied like inside your database as a result of like fetching the data. And it just sort of, it makes this like beautiful boundary between authorization logic and the app data where your policy really does just represent the logic. Who can do one my app? Everything to do with the application data, like how do I really, how do I fetch this piece of data? Like how, how posts, and, posts and topics, like how are they related? Stays in your app. It doesn't require you like refactoring anything. The sort the functionality that provides is kind of mind blowing. And kind of bringing things full circle. That's like one of the features that like Zanzibar provides that I, I think no one really figured out how you could make that work without, you know, moving all your data into a different service. We put that work in and it's, it's kind of mind blowing.
0: Okay, well, we got five minutes. You're a pretty interesting guy. We should definitely do another show if you're down. If you're ever in the Bay Area, would love to hang out. Can I just ask, you, why aren't companies default open source? It's such a mistake, right? Companies should just be default open source, right? Or if you don't have a plan around open source, you're probably making a mistake. I actually don't agree
1: personally. I love open source and believe in open source and and like all that goodness. Like I think it's especially in for like security cryptography. Like if we could you know, have many eyes on a piece of security software and make sure it's hardened and make sure it's being like analyzed and scrutinized by the community. And, you know, great to have projects that people can contribute to and so on. Like I really strongly believe in open source from a personal standpoint and for like moral good of it. When I wouldn't say I was so dogmatic about it that as a company, I was like, we must do open source because it's the right thing to do full stop. We did open source because two things. One, we decided that you know, building authorization as a library was the right way to solve this problem. It was the right thing to do for developers. And we put developers first. And then number two, if you're asking people to integrate a library into their app to do something as critical as authorization, that should be open source. People have the right to be able to see what's happening there and contribute to it and potentially fork it and get to do the things it needs to. But if we had decided that this would be better as a service, I don't know that doing it open source would have been the best strategy because it's hard to do open source. You have to like, you have to maintain this giant project. You have to, I mean, if you want to do it well, right. You need to have like welcome a community and support them and, you know, help, help them with if they want to make contributions and in, in how they do it. You're you know committing potentially to having multiple versions of a, of a piece of software out there that you, you know, maybe maintain backwards compatibility with it's hard. And so if, if it's not your like priority because you're building something else as a product and you just open source as like a, side show or something like you're not going to do it well like you can't split your focus that wide but the flip side of it is doing open source is so much fun because i love i love our community and i love interacting with it we have a slack community where you can join and just come and talk to us about you know authorization or the products or generally and we did a hackathon and we had community members join in like the upshots of it are amazing they're a lot of fun but it's definitely work we spend a lot of time with our community and, and welcoming people and making it open. So I'm not sure. I'd say you should like default to it because y- you need to invest time in it to make it work.
0: Look, I would like to keep talking longer. But I really got to go. I got like emails to All attend right. to. Let me know when you want to come back on the show or whatever. And if you're in the Bay Area, let's hang out. Oh, great.